Welcome to The Alignment Show, featuring conversations with folks who have taken steps to identify their highest values and align their lives around them. Time on this earth is not unlimited, and you may be seeking to make sure you spend your time on things that matter to you. These conversations will encourage you and support you in doing so. Now, let's meet this week's guest on The Alignment Show. And good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. You are once again on with The Alignment Show. We're having some tech issues this morning. You know, that just seems to be part of live, used to be live radio that I worked in, uh, live whatever this is. Whew. Oh, it just makes it fun, though, doesn't it? And so we're glad that you're back with us again this week. Uh, we have a an encore guest with us. We've been talking a little bit about her, and I'll introduce her in just a moment. Just want to remind you that uh, we are in the pre-order stage on the way of the three-year-old Why? It's actually out there on the major retailers for pre-order. But remember, if you are subscribed here, uh, let me let me just show you the site right here. Uh, you, you can take advantage of a price break, and there will also be some extra goodies for people who go through this link, Way of the Three-Year-Old Why. And those of you who are listening uh, strictly on audio, you can go to donking.com. That's Don with a double N, D-O-N-N. What's my name here? D-O-N-N. K-I-N-G dot com slash 3-Y-O, and you will get to the same site here, so you can take advantage of that. Uh, you know, I've always said as speakers, you don't apologize, so not apologizing here, but uh, just context. Our disabled daughter has been in ICU in the hospital. This is day 20, I think. And so I am a little more frazzled than usual. I, I know Tracy's going to understand if I say something a little odd. Uh, hope that you will, too. I, I know that you will. But I'm very pleased to be able to go ahead and have this conversation this week with Tracy. Now, Tracy Borison is all about authenticity, specifically in the digital space. Uh, I've gotten to know her over the last few months, met her through a connection that we have in common. Uh, Yermi Kirkus. Uh, hi, Yermi. I think Yermi's probably tied up this morning but like to acknowledge those connections. So a little bit about Tracy in a world where it's easy to hide and follow someone else's path. Tracy endeavors to lead with her personal brand as well as encourage others to find, own, and show up with their personal brand leading the way. Tracy strives to bring more uniqueness to the world for individuals and businesses because that's what actually stands out in a crowded marketplace. Now, what I have liked to say, um, I think we even put it in the, the setup for this episode. In a way, uh, authenticity, genuineness, those kind of things, they've become buzzwords. People will say, yes, I need to appear authentic. Well, that's, you know, that's the opposite of authenticity. And one of the things that I have learned about Tracy is when she says authentic, she means authentic. So let's just bring on Tracy Borison and see where we can go with this conversation. Tracy, welcome once again to The Alignment Show. Thank you, Don. I'm glad to be back, and I am excited to explore more about the journey of authenticity. 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, and, and, you know, I was thinking about that authenticity thing as um, as we were getting ready for this episode. Should I mention about my daughter or not? You know, we, we always want to put online, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever the social media is. Uh, we want to appear to be our best and, I don't know, superhuman or something, you know. And I thought, I'm talking to the authenticity guru here, you know, I need to just be who I am. Is this what we're talking about when we're talking about authenticity? So my definition of authenticity is doing or saying what you would do or say when you want to do or say it. And so this concept of should, right? Even as you said, Don, should I mention this? There's actually no right answer to that. There's only your answer to that. Do you want to mention it? And it doesn't have to be as an excuse, as you said. It could just be like, this is something that is very prevalent in my realm of being today. And I want to mention it. That also doesn't mean you have to mention it. <laughs> I saw a post on LinkedIn yesterday. Um, a, a career coach had provided advice on to people to not talk about their mental health journey on social media and to seek help, like to talk about it, to talk about it to somebody. And I to on one side i appreciate that because i think sometimes people think they have to be in order to be authentic you have to reveal all things at all times and that's not what authenticity is either because there's some things i want to share maybe there's some things i haven't personally processed yet and it doesn't make sense for me to share that's an individual experience thing and so all of these things i would say like in advice in general is what someone would do. So that's fine. That's fine that someone else would do that. You can try it on and see, is that what I would do? But the, the power in authenticity is being able to say no and knowing that that's, that's my perspective. I don't feel like sharing that today. Maybe I feel like sharing it another day. Maybe I feel like sharing it with different people. Maybe I feel like sharing it in a different space with a different audience, but I don't feel like sharing it right now. That is okay. That is actually the practice of authenticity is using your own judgment. And a lot of times we just don't trust our own judgment. I wonder if we might lean towards being protective, maybe a little too far in that direction. Um, let me put this in the context though of, a, of an experience I had in, in teaching uh, people about effective speaking. I had, uh, I'm going to make this short because I don't want to take over the episode here, but uh, I had a, uh, how, how long ago has this been? Five, six years ago, I guess. We started out a semester and their first assignment is to, uh, to talk about their most unforgettable experience. And I had a woman in class who was an EMS worker and she was dispatched to a shooting scene. When she got there, she found it was a police officer who was a colleague of hers. And of course, that was upsetting to her. She did her job. That was only two weeks prior to the semester. And as she was talking about this, you know, she she broke down in front of the class crying, that kind of thing, which is fine. But, you know, from a speaking standpoint, I tell people if you lose it in front of the audience, 
then they can get tied up in feeling sorry for you. And then they miss your point. And in a way, bearing your soul like that um, wasn't wasted. But, you know, you're not accomplishing your point. Same semester, different class. I had a woman who, as her most unforgettable experience, her son had been murdered. It was a year prior, and she had the appropriate emotion. She touched the audience. She drew them in. She made her point with the story. But because she had had time to process it, you mentioned processing. Mm -hmm. Then uh, there's an old saying that God doesn't waste pain. Uh, she was able to use her experience to positively affect other people. Mm -hmm. So now this is a long way around to say, is this part of how you decide, do I feel like talking about this? Do we get too shy because we think, oh, people aren't going to be interested in that. They're not going to be interested in me. But this processing thing can be how we avoid the fear of TMI, the too much information. What, what do you think? Well, I feel like there's a lot of things happening in, in, in this example because I want to share this example because my son actually taught me this. So he's five now. He was probably about two and a half or three at the time. What had happened is that my husband and I both drove to, we had a, a like a alley facing garage and we both drove back there, but my sister had parked her car in the garage. So there's only room for one car in our garage. My husband forgot. So we both went back there. He remembered once we opened the garage and he waved me into the garage and he drove around the front. My son's experience of that was that we almost hit daddy. That was his experience. <laughs> I will tell you, we were not that close, but his experience of it was that, and he was very upset about it. He was very emotional and he kept telling the story. So he kept saying, we almost hit daddy and it would make him cry. And then he'd say it again and he would say it again. And I was confused because I was like, why do you keep telling this story? It makes you so upset. But then what I also watched happen was every time he told the story, he was less emotional about it. And by the 20th or 25th time he told the story, he was laughing about it. We almost hit daddy, but we weren't that close. <laughs> right? He, I watched him process it. And this is a matter of like, I don't know, 20 minutes or something. And so what I learned in that moment was that like the storytelling can be part of the processing. And sometimes depending on how you process, I'm very much a verbal processor. I need to talk about things. And so sometimes you have to tell the story in order to process it. Now it's kind of up to you to use your judgment. Where are those times? What are those places? So like I've had a grief counselor at different points in my journey. My grief counselor was the place where I told those stories because I needed to get it off my chest. I actually had, I, I had this conversation with my husband once saying like, I need to talk about this. And he's like, I can't talk about this. And I'm like, that's fine. I don't need to talk to you about it, but I need to talk to someone about it. And so this again is authenticity is a, a journey. It's a process and it's ever evolving. So as we experience new things, we don't necessarily know how we would deal with them. Grief being a primary example Sometimes we think, oh, we had this ass assignment for school and this is one of the most like drastic experiences of my life. So I'm going to tell it. And we don't think about how we haven't processed that 
yet. And so there's just so many things at play in the human experience at any given time. And we can only learn through doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I would hope what that student of yours learned was that, oh, I haven't quite fully processed this yet. Maybe I need to find more safe spaces for me to tell the story so that I can process it. Mm -hmm. I yeah. had this example where um, this was a few years ago, like the first year of COVID, my high school basketball coach passed away and he was very, very meaningful to me. In my experience, one of the first people who saw my unique potential as a human, instead of just like slamming me into a box. And I wanted to write something to honor his memory. And I wasn't ready. So like the day I found out about it, I, could, I couldn't. I didn't know what I wanted to say. And it wasn't until about like a month later that I posted something on social media about it. And then it was amazing because his like wife reached out to me and then they asked me to be like a speaker at his celebration of life and all of these things because I had time to process what I wanted to say and we didn't rush into it. And I think the, the rushing is some, we're so obsessed as a society with productivity. Right? Like I have this grief, I need to process it in like five minutes. You, you can't do that. Even most people who have a lot of practice, practice, <laughs> practicing grief can't do that. They just know their process, which is something like I feel proud of now. I know my process. I can create space for my process and then, then I can talk about it. But until then I can't. And, and every individual has a different one. This is again, why I think the conversation about authenticity is much deeper than m most social media makes it seem right? this is actually you figuring out what you would do mm. and sometimes we only learn that by figuring out what we wouldn't do yeah that's a, that's a really great insight uh, you know a lot of what you're saying fits into my overall thing i'm really big on storytelling and i'm always saying stories are how humans have always made sense of their experience and i hadn't thought about tying it into what you're talking about, like with your son, <clears throat> that the the retelling of it is part of the processing. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom there about choosing who and, and where you tell your story. That's different than trying to manage the impression. I think, you know, you know, where, oh, you know, I want to seem like I've got it all together, so I'm going to hide. Uh, I, I know there's uh, there's been a lot of pushback. Hey, Amy, uh, what's her name? The the power pose uh, woman. She did the TED talk. Um, Harvard researcher can't pull her name out right now, but you know it was one of those uh, well known TED talks where she uh, was her, her phrase was. We've all heard fake it till you make it. Her thing was fake it till you become it. And I've had students to, to say, well, you know, what's the difference? Well, in one case, you're trying to hide. In the other case, you're trying to develop. And they lead to two very different outcomes. So this is an example of the authenticity we're engaging in right now. And regular listeners know that we like our live conversation format here. I, we do not have pre 
scripted questions for guests here on the alignment show. Tracy is all over that. I mean, that's just the way she loves to do things. I had no idea how our conversation would go this morning, and you're comfortable with pulling these examples out impromptu. You know, they're just who you are. I'm going to turn the coin over here just a second. I'm thinking years ago when I was working for, let's just say, a major retailer in their headquarters, okay, Um, because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, Uh, and we were going through the usual annual evaluation kind of thing. And they asked, you know, well, what, what are your weaknesses? And I was in one of those super honest phases, you know? And so uh, I answered with the kind of thing that people, everybody has things that I guess they beat themselves up about, you know? And so I told them that I I struggled with laziness. Well, they wrote that down. And then every time after that, there was anything dealing with a supervisor. Well, we know you can be lazy. So, yeah, in other words, it got held against me. And that was kind of teaching me to be a little circumspect at revealing myself. Now, I'm not sure if the lesson there was about revealing myself or being careful of who I reveal myself to or how I couch it. Yeah, you because know, it's just this uh, thing of, um, you know, I'm. Uh, you, you, how is it that it goes here? There's three different ways to put most anything. There's, uh, you're pleasingly plump. He's overweight. I'm fat. Mm. You know, uh, where the positive negative. I'm throwing well, a lot of things out here at once, Tracy. You know, where, where's the sweet spot in all of these considerations? Uh, okay, so <laughs> complexity here. My experience is not your experience. Right. Right. And this will always be true. No matter how close you are to a person, this is a fun conversation I like to have with my son, who is five. Um, but, okay, this is happening right now. I'm experiencing it one way. You're experiencing it another way. Like sometimes I think something is cute and he thinks something is frustrating, right? And it's the same thing. And neither of us are right or wrong. I'm experiencing is this, you're experiencing is that. The challenge is that in most society, in most workplaces, we don't have that kind of open line of communication, right? So I don't know what you're experiencing right now, and you don't know what I'm experiencing right now, and we assume that we're experiencing this the same way. So I always think the only answer to that question is curiosity, So, so I will tell you, I had an employee once, myself as well, who told me she struggled with, um, she didn't call it lazy. She called it, um, procrastination. it's like, I struggle with procrastination. I put the two things in the same box. That's my experience. Right, wrong. I don't know, but that's what happens to me. And so I asked her like, what things do you find yourself procrastinating? She gave me a list of things and I proposed to her, well, would you consider this actually procrastination or that you're prioritizing and that these things continue to get deprioritized? I would say that's a reason for us to talk about these things and are these things actually important? And it was really interesting because she had never thought of that. She just had identified herself as a procrastinator and procrastinators were bad. And this was something that needed to be fixed with her 
not something that needed to be fixed with the list of tasks that she was doing that she probably shouldn't have been doing. But this is a, there's a lot of things that come into play with that, right? Like I have, I mean, everybody has ego, but I have very little, (laughs) I, I get hijacked by my ego, very little, because I think if I'm paying you to do a job and these tasks are irrelevant, then we should eliminate those tasks and do something more meaningful. Um, I don't care that I'm the one who assigned those tasks. I care like, let's talk about this and continually make this more productive. That's my perspective. Other people might be like, this is what we always do. And they might label you as procrastinator because you're not getting them done. So the, the again, the challenge is that I can't control someone else's perspective, but I can control my perspective of myself. And so when we create these labels for ourselves, procrastinator, lazy are the examples that we're working with. One of the things I like to explore, is that empowering you or is it disempowering you? Hmm. And if it's disempowering you, Let's explore. What is causing that? Is it because you have a list of tasks you're not getting done, but really those tasks don't need to get done and they're completely irrelevant, right? Like, then I wouldn't say that you're lazy. Are you the type of person? My husband said this to me the other day. It's like, I get so exhausted at work. I just need to like sit and do nothing to like recharge. And so sure, you could consider that lazy because then he's sitting and doing nothing. Or you can look at it as if he has a job that is draining and he needs to recharge and which I think is fair. Right. So there's a lot of these perspectives. And when it comes to authenticity, which to me is, is very much about owning your own experience. How much of our time are we spending in a disempowered state? And, and sometimes maybe it's because of circumstances right? You've been in and out of the ICU a lot. You're probably exhausted. You, you deserve to rest, right? And then you might feel like you're not doing a bunch of things that you would like to do, but we also can't do those if we don't rest. And so as a societal narrative, again, we're very obsessed with productivity. We're very obsessed with doing, and we get into these habits of holding ourselves accountable at this level. I have a personal example like I used to always do the dishes before I went to bed every day. I like to wake up to a clean kitchen. It's much more pleasant than waking up to a dirty kitchen. But the problem with that was that my mindset was actually, I'm a bad wife if I don't do the dishes before I go to bed. Which, if you knew my husband, you would know it's not true because that men couldn't care less if the dishes were clean or not. You know, like he doesn't care. It, it doesn't, he doesn't notice, right? I'm the one who noticed. And I added a level of, it wasn't just, I like to have the kitchen clean. I added that level of, or I'm a bad wife, which isn't true. And once I explored that within my own experience, I could let that go. And now most of the time I do the dishes before I go to sleep, but not all the time. And when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel bad about myself because I didn't do the dishes. I'll do the dishes when it, I have to do the dishes. (laughs) I will be a responsible adult and do them eventually. Although, no, I I have started putting a lot more things in the dishwasher. (laughs) I'll tell you that. Um, Even wooden spoons, which I'm sure lots of people will have a problem with. But like, yeah, this makes my experience easier. And I feel like, again, the whole 
the win in authenticity, the win in owning your experience is that if someone comments on this and like, that's disgusting, you should never put a wooden spoon in the dishwasher, I'll be like, Meh. I believe you probably have a point, <laughs> right? And I do it. <laughs> so there's, it, it's not, it's about not negating someone else's experience to make your experience feel like it's right. But mm. it's about saying like, that's your experience. That's my experience. And both of these things can be true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful Several powerful ideas there, allowing the experience, not uh, not allowing yourself to feel judged by somebody else, even if they are judging, you know. <laughs> That's a them thing, right? Yeah. If they want to judge me, they can. But it's, it's within my realm of control whether or not I feel judged. Mm, yes, yes. How I feel is my experience. What they do is their experience. <laughs> I I suspect that a lot of times when we think other people are judging us, they're really not. Or even if they are, so what? You know, I, I mean, there's just there's so many layers to this. But I also want to pick up on the the what I and you've used the term here today also reframing. Um, psychologist Adam Grant has talked about the procrastination thing, for example, and uh, he actually. I think he did the study. He may have simply reported another one, but I heard it from him. Um, He was looking at stress and effectiveness of people who were what he was calling procrastinators and precrastinators. Okay, precrastinators were people who, when they got an assignment in a college class, and he teaches in the Wharton School of Business, uh, as soon as they get the assignment, it may not be due for a month, but precrastinators will go ahead and do it immediately. Get it out of the way. And he figured they'd have lower stress. He thought they would make higher grades. Procrastinators waiting until the night before, higher stress, lower grades. That was the assumption. What he found was there were actually three categories, and I think he differentiated them by calling that third category creative procrastinators. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference is the creative procrastinators, as soon as they got the assignment, they would do some reading, some rough outlining or whatever, and then they'd forget about it, leave it on the back burner until the night before. So they would look like um, classic procrastinators and to his chagrin, because he is a precrastinator, the creative procrastinators made the highest grades with the lowest stress, greater degrees of creativity. Uh, he said the precrastinators didn't give themselves time to learn. Whereas the creative procrastinators would put it in their subconscious and then, you know, let it stew there for a while. Mm-hmm. Now, then you can this- actually execute your paper faster because you've been thinking about this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's I don't have to like start thinking about it now. I just have to write it. Yeah, exactly. It's like me with a blog post. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so where this comes into, I think, our conversation is that, that reframing thing, because a lot of the creative procrastinators had been putting themselves down. Oh, I'm a procrastinator. And I, And then once they found out, you know, this process, it's true to me, it works well, 
they started thinking of themselves differently, mm-hmm. which is kind of a fringe benefit in terms of his study. But it, it just reframing how, you know, I'm not fat, I'm fluffy, you know, which I'm making fun of it. But the way you see yourself is just very different from the way other people see you. And uh, I say this all the time, right? Because we will judge ourselves the most harshly, depending on like I am. I would identify as an achiever, and so when I don't achieve to the desire I think I should have, and not necessarily external expectations, my own expectations, I judge myself very harshly. No one else judges me as harshly as I judge myself. Exactly. Exactly. Our our friend Jeff West has commented, that's the group I'm in, creative procrastinator. Uh, I know the quality of Jeff's work. I don't know if he'll comment or not, but I'm curious as to whether he has put himself down as being a procrastinator and then realize that, you know, this really is, uh, as Microsoft might say, it's not a bug. It's a feature. You know, it's something that we make use of. So we'll see if there's a comment there. Uh, and, well, and I think that's a good point, right? Because sometimes a bug starts off as a bug, but then we realize that there's actually a, a benefit to having it. And that is kind of like owning your own experience. Right? Exactly. Just commenting have here. Character identity flaws, but are they flaws or are they part of what makes us awesome? Exactly. Exactly. Jeff's commenting here, not putting myself down, just enjoying my process. It is important to know your own process and respect it. You know, find the parts that work, refine the parts that you can. But you can't do that if you're trying to hide not only to the world, but to yourself about who you are. And if you're trying to work someone else's process, Mm. right, this is the other thing. I feel like because we now live in a world where information is so readily available at our fingertips, when we have a problem, our immediate response is to go and find the answer, right? Ask Google, ask Google, ask chat GPT, right? Like these, these things have the answer. And then we, what we learn is someone else's process. And it's not that the process is bad, right? This is the thing I, I, I provide warning to a lot in the like sales and marketing arena. It's not that that marketing tactic or sales process is bad, and it also might not be aligned with who you are. So it's not always just about finding a process and executing the process. As and I think a lot of us would attest to that we have tried that in different realms of experience and it didn't work for us, whether it's processing grief or how to make a cold call or like how to get on social media and and post something, right? There isn't one way to do it. And when we don't know our own way, we default to find someone else's way and copy someone else's way instead of using the same amount of resources to explore, like what Jeff says, enjoying my process or experimenting with my process, developing my process. And, And part of that is that we don't get taught that in school, right? We get taught that Here's the question. Here's the answer. You didn't think of it. It came from this book, right? And so we, to some degree, get programmed to go and find the answer. And I I do not believe that research is bad. I believe that research is awesome. I just also believe that when you learn something, you have to try it on. Hmm. You have to feel like, is that what I would do? Is that what I would say? 
And quite honestly, sometimes you have to say it for you to know that you wouldn't say that. And this is why it's a journey and an evolution. And unless we get comfortable with that experiment process, we will not find authenticity. Exactly, exactly. Well, I know a big part of what you do is work with people in developing their authenticity. Uh, You've had um, different ways of doing that. You still um, sponsor, if that's the right word, the No Pitch Networking Group on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, What's your current project? What are you working with people on most right now? Uh, My current project is called Crazy Stupid Marketing. (laughs) (laughs) And the the reason being is that there is much, so my background is marketing. I worked in the marketing industry for 20 years. um, And there's so much bad advice, a lot of bad advice on the internet. Um, And people who think that they take a Facebook ads training and now they're Facebook ads experts. (laughs) and, and, And perhaps they are experts in the technology side of that. But in marketing, authenticity is really, unfortunately, gone the way of the dodo. <laughs> that people don't even think marketing is about authentic and building relationships and connections and things like that anymore. And what people fail to see is that the really powerful marketing efforts are always about humans connecting with humans every single time. And the thing about authenticity is it's not about So if I look at this from an individual perspective, this isn't about me connecting with all people. It's not possible. I connect with specific type of people. Don, you and I connect because we have a belief in alignment, a belief in authenticity. Not everybody has that. And it doesn't make those people wrong or bad. It just means that they're not your people. Mm -hmm. If you have a specific product or service that you sell, it's, it's really not all people that will buy it, even though maybe theoretically it could be all people that buy it, right? It could, it could be that all people use Amazon who have an internet connection, which is most people now. But like, I don't use Amazon. I prefer to support small businesses. I like to shop local. I don't use Amazon if I can help it. Mm. Um, and that doesn't mean Amazon is bad. And it doesn't mean the people who shop on Amazon are bad. It just means that I have a preference. And when I share who I really am and the things that create those foundational reasons why I make those types of decisions, people can align with that or people cannot align with that. And that is how you find your brand community. Those are your people. They might be clients. They might be partners. They might be vendors. They might be referrals. I don't know what they're going to be, but they're your people. And your people see you. Your people see you differently than your not people do, right? (laughs) You're not your people just like, maybe they see you, maybe they don't, right? But your people, when they see you, they see you, they feel you, they connect with you. And and there's like this two-way relationship that happens, which is why I'm so passionate about no pitch networking, because it's a networking space where people build relationships instead of just make a pitch. Um, And what crazy stupid marketing is about is like showing, okay, here's the things people might be telling you. My favorite one is I help statements. Marketing loves to tell you that you should just have an I help statement. I read another LinkedIn post about this the other day. If your tagline doesn't say who you help, then you aren't doing your job. 
your tagline. You're like, if you want to come to my profile, anyone who isn't connected with me, my tagline is about creating togetherness based on uniqueness. In essence, that is what I do through marketing, but I don't tell people that I help them with their marketing and sales and processes. If you want to learn about that, listen to a live with me. Come and have a chat with me. I don't need to tell you all things at one time. It's not a thing, right? Like people write books that are like, how long is your book, Don? How many pages? 170 pages. 170 pages. If I read one of those pages, would I understand everything that's happening in the book? (laughs) Probably not. Not sure I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure the authors don't either. But that's the reason why a book is 170 pages, because it takes a minute or like an hour to explain what's going on and to get into the rhythm and to tell the story. And then we go online and we're thinking we're supposed to do this in one sentence. And there's literally people who are telling you this, right? They're they're telling you this and lots of people are telling you it. So they think it's good advice. And then, so the whole point of crazy, stupid marketing is to show people like, here's what the advice is telling you. And here's why it doesn't make sense. Now, here are some things you could try instead that are a little more authentic that will actually allow you to speed up your sales process, which as far as I'm concerned is Mark's news job. Um, And so you can, uh, the amount of people who are spending so much time, sorry, now I'm like on my horse and I'm like frustrated (laughs) about it. But like the number of people, especially small businesses, entrepreneurs who are spending like an insane amount of money and time on marketing that's doing nothing for their business. This is who this show is for. Uh, Please stop doing that. It's not necessary. And to some degree, I think we've been bought into this narrative that I have to do that. I have to spend four hours a day on LinkedIn to find clients there. No, you don't. That's wrong. (laughs) Maybe someone told you that it's not true, right? Maybe if you follow that process, it's true. But you, what if you followed your own process? Mm. Perhaps it's not true. So there's anyway, anyway, so much bad information. The point of the show is to like peel away all of the stupidness (laughs) and reveal what can be accomplished when we get back to the core of connection, which is authenticity. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, I got to ask, for folks who are on video, they've been seeing where I put the QR code up and I've shared your LinkedIn on the screen. Uh, is LinkedIn the best way to find out about crazy, stupid marketing? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Let's, say, let's make sure we say it out loud. And also for folks who are on audio only, uh, you can go to confidencecultivators.com you will find the show notes that will have links in it. But if you go to LinkedIn and you look for brands that speak, B-R-A-N-D-S-T-H-A-T-S-P-E-A-K, then that's Tracy's link. I also noticed that there are only, I think, two Tracy Borisons on LinkedIn, so fairly easy to find. There's a lot of Don Kings out there. Uh, so yeah, that works out nicely, but we'll, we'll have those links in the show note. I didn't know if you, uh, cause we didn't set this up ahead of time. Didn't know if there was a link direct to your show. Uh, and we can put that in the show notes also, if you will send that to me, but right. Yes. Um, you can, one of the things, the shows are on my YouTube channel. Um, and the link is on my website so we can put my website 
in there. Okay. Okay. So we'll share all those links in the show notes, folks. Uh, we are running out of time, Tracy. Don't go away because I want to not only properly thank you, but share a little quick something with you. Uh, but we're over time. Once again, folks, we're doing this every week. We just have so much to talk about. Tracy, thank you for being here. Let's tell folks about uh, coming up next week. Next week's going to be a solo show because officially October the 15th is when the pre-orders go up for Way of the Three-Year-Old Why? Now, it's already out there, you know, but uh, that's sort of a launch. And so I'm going to talk more next week. That would be the 18th uh, about uh, the Way of the Three-Year-Old Why, the story behind it what it may mean for you, that's going to be coming up. Very much appreciate you being here with us on The Alignment Show. I can't remember if I mentioned it at the beginning or not. Starting December 1st, we will be moving from broadcasting on Wednesday mornings to broadcasting on Friday mornings. That's December 1st, but throughout October and November, we will continue to be right here, 10 a.m., Wednesdays live with the alignment show. Thank you for being here. That's it for this week's episode of the alignment show. What has it inspired you to do in your own life? Whatever it is, take action now and take the first step. It will help you to talk with a friend about what you're thinking. Share confidencecultivators.com to spread the goodness and remember to live your values and value your life. We will see you next week on The Alignment Show.